Today I'm very excited to have Dr. Omer Hirsch with us. Uh, Omer is a chiropractor and a functional neurologist who specializes with their children with their autism, sensory disorder, learning disabilities, and HDHD. Hello, Omer. Hi, good evening. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And Omer, could you tell us how you got to the field of uh, functional neurology? Um, sure. Uh, so about maybe three weeks before I started chiropractic uh, college, um, I was staying with a family member who's a chiropractor and he told me about all these chiropractic neurologist people who do all these crazy things that he doesn't understand. Um, and it seemed, you know, okay, so maybe I'll learn it sometime. Maybe, maybe I won't. Um, but um, fate had it that my first instructor in chiropractic college was a, um, a chiropractic neurologist. And I was just blown away by the depth of her knowledge and understanding of the nervous system. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. Um, and like the first month of school, um, they started a new program, 15 or 20 minutes driving distance from my school. So I said, okay, so that's cool. But I still wasn't sure. And then I saw a video of um, this 17 year old kid who was in a car accident and it was practically, um, he was bedridden, he was declared uh, in a vegetative state. And his parents were basically given forms to have his organs donated when time comes. And they brought in, um, um, a chiropractor who, who specialized in functional neurology and you know he did some things and six months later the kid graduated from high school uh, and I was like exactly whoa and I said okay I that would be interesting to learn so I started on that uh, down that rabbit hole and um, so I was very excited towards my last uh, quarter in school that I was going to take her that same instructor's um, advanced, advanced course. And so, like three or four days before the, 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 the quarter ended, I said, hey, so next quarter I've got, I've got you in, my, in your advanced course. You said, no, I'm leaving the school. I said, what, what, what do you mean you're leaving the school? <laughs> and so she uh, was leaving to open a brain balance center. Ooh. And I said, what's a brain balance center? And she started telling me that it's a center where we work with kids with learning disabilities and ADHD and autism, and we help them. And he said, what do you mean you help them? You can't change autism, it's genetic. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, yes, we can. <laughs> and I said, okay. And then she told me about Dr. Malillo and, uh, and, and the whole um, developmental function neurology. And I started learning from there and picked it up and um, yeah, about six months after we got back to Israel, uh, my oldest son was diagnosed with ASD, so with autism. And so that kind of said, okay, so that's where you're going. Um, so that's my short story on functional neurology and developmental disorders. <laughs> I was going to ask you how you came across uh, Dr. Malilo's method, but. Yeah, I figured as much, I just, went right with it. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, could you explain a little bit to my listeners what's the method? 
Sure. So let's go back to what's functional neurology. So functional neurology is a term for a discipline that is also referred to as chiropractic neurology uh, or clinical neuroscience, which is probably a more accurate term. Um, and the whole point is to look at the brain as something that you can change because we know that the brain is plastic. There's, you know, whoever, um, if you guys don't know the concept of, of neuroplasticity, it means that the brain can change based on um, stimuli from the outside and from within. So if I, you know, if I do meditation, I can actually change my heart rate. I can change my behavior. So it can be from the outside or from within. Um, and what we do is we use different functions to assess the brain. And then we use different functions to rehabilitate the brain. So the, the, the example I like to give is if I want to move my eyes, or if I want to follow a target from left to right, I'm using certain areas in my brain. Now, if this function isn't um, effective, um, then it tells me something about these areas. Now, I'm gonna do three, four, five more tests to try and pinpoint which area is the most efficient. And then I'm gonna do other things that are also associated with that area. So if we take an example, um, tracking also has something to do with the cerebellum. Okay, so if someone can't track properly, their cerebellum might be not pro not working properly. But maybe if I put them on something that's um, a little um, uneven, like a, a balance pad or a basu ball, then now I, I'm forcing their cerebellum to work harder because balance is also something that the cerebellum does. And now maybe their tracking is better. If it is, I know that's a therapy for them. Okay, so that's an example of how functional neurology works. Mm -hmm. um, what Dr. Melillo did was took that idea, but now he's looking at the, at the nervous system from a developmental point of view. And as the brain develops, it starts from the bottom up. So the, the spinal cord starts from the bottom and then it develops up and then um, the brain stem starts to develop and then the cerebellum kind of out pouches from the pons and then it continues to grow up and the thalamus and the hypothalamus develop and, and then the occipital lobe and then the parietal and temporal lobe and only at the end, the frontal lobe develops. Um, and then it comes down and controls everything. So everything we do from when, when we um, look at people from a developmental um, perspective, and it doesn't have to be because of a developmental disorder, it can be because of a, a traumatic brain injury, it can be because of a stroke or whatever. We look at everything and make sure that developmentally everything is, is working. Just like if you wanted to build a building, you have to make sure that the foundations are good and only then do you, you, know, you start building the, 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 the skeleton and, and, and you only bring people in at the end. So a lot of times people you know, jump to very advanced therapies and then they don't have very good results because the brain isn't ready for that yet. Um, so the whole point of the Melillo method is to look at the brain from a developmental perspective and, and, and make sure that the different areas of the brain are functioning properly at the right order. That's uh -huh. the idea. So, and could you expand a little bit about the hemispheric model? Sure. So the hemispheric model is true. Um, that was the most basic model of the uh, chiropractic neurology when it just started in the late 70s uh, and early 80s. Um, 
but I think Dr. Malillo um, took it um, to a very efficient way of way of doing it. So the whole concept is that the the thing that makes our brain unique compared to other animals is that we have very uh, clear lateralization of function in our brain. We also have anatomical differences in the size of our brain, but those are small, but we have very clear functional differences in our brain. And we can see that from people who have gone through um, split brain surgery. So they cut their corpus callosum and basically um, separated their brain into two brains. And we can see that the different parts of the brain do different things. We can also see it uh, in, 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 in other, um, ways of, of imaging, like functional MRIs and stuff like that. But we also know that the brain functions in networks. So whatever function it may be that is associated with, let's say the right orbital frontal cortex, it doesn't mean that the orbital frontal cortex on the right is the only part that works. It just means that that's the part that's leading the function. Okay, so if I, if I compare that to, to a big organization, like let's say, um, whatever, Apple, okay? So the right orbital frontal is, you know, the CEO and the management. If we take them out, then nothing happens, all right? But there's also the marketing department and the R&D and the, you know, sanitation and, and billing and, and all these departments have to also work for whatever the company is doing to actually have um, a good result, right? Mm -hmm. to, to have a, an end product, Okay, so there's different things that in the brain that also work together with that area that we're targeting. But if that area isn't working properly, the entire function is going to not be is going to either not work at all or be ineffective. And that's something that we see in a lot of kids with ADHD and autism is their orbital frontal cortex on the right is very weak. And one of the things that that area does is it is um, responsible for social behavior and actually stopping improper social behavior. Um, so interpreting rules, um, you know, make, you know, recognizing personal space, uh, you know, knowing when to stop doing things, things like that, which they have a hard time doing because the area that's supposed to be doing it is working slower and less efficiently than what it's, what it's than the way it's supposed to. So the hemispheric model tells you, tells us how to target um, the different uh, areas of the brain, both left and right, front and back, top, bottom. And when we combine that with a top, uh, with the bottom up approach, then we get results that are faster, more efficient and last longer, which is what we're trying to do. Uh -huh. And uh, Dr. in Dr. Malela's book, there's, mm -hmm. um, a lot of reference to primitive reflexes. Yeah. So primitive reflexes. Primitive reflexes are awesome. The reason they're awesome is they are a very simple concept, if you would, but they can have um, very profound um, effects for better and worse. Uh, I actually teach a course on primitive reflexes here in Israel um, because I find it to be a very powerful tool. And so primitive reflexes are actually um, motor programs that are hardwired into our development. So most of them are already developed in the womb, some of them very early on. And they have two main 
objectives. One is to ensure the baby's ability to survive. So they allow the baby to nurse, to move, to roll over, to breathe properly, to birth itself, um, to develop a vestibular system, to develop an ocular system, to develop, to develop muscle tone. To, so all these things happen when these reflexes are turned on again and again and again. And the other thing is it enables um, more complex motor programs to um, get built. So again, if we take as an example of a new computer that comes in with a operating system like Windows or whatever, it comes in with a basic kind of custom design or, or um, operation. And as you learn how to use that system, you actually customize it to yourself. You, you, know, you put the icons that you want on the desktop, you put your own shortcuts, you start installing new software, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what happens when our brain grows and matures. We, we, we kind of adapt to the world and, and create our own software and, um, and download and, and, and um, install different um, softwares. Um, so the primitive reflexes allow that to happen by being activated over and over again. And during that first year of life, the frontal lobe um, starts to develop more and gradually it's supposed to inhibit, so dampen the reflexogenic response. So there's still a stimulus. So let's take, for example, the rooting reflex. So when someone, if I touch a baby's cheek like that, they're gonna go like that to try and grab the nipple, right? Mm -hmm. Which is very good for them, right? It also actually starts stimulating their sucking reflex and their swallowing reflex and their entire digestive system, okay? So now that's supposed to happen over and over and over again for the first, you know, for the first year of life. And after about two, three, four months, this reflex is supposed to stop. So even if there is a stimulus to the cheek, I'm not gonna see this happen anymore because it's not necessary. The system is already very efficient. But if I see a child who's 10 years old or a, an adult who's 60 years old, which I've also seen, who still has a rooting reflex, uh, who still has a rooting reflex, first of all, I know that their um, fine motor skills may not be great because this using mouth and tongue is a fine motor skill. I know that they probably have digestive issues because their digestive system hasn't been, hasn't been um, primed properly as an infant. And so they probably developed and were exposed to things that were not supposed to be exposed to. Um, I know a couple other things about it, but I wanna get rid of it. I wanna teach their brain to inhibit that properly before I do anything else. Because this is a very basic, basic, basic function. So some of these are really low in the brainstem, in the medulla or in the uh, pons. So if these are still there, it tells me that their brainstem hasn't developed optimally. And if that hasn't developed optimally, then maybe other things in the brainstem haven't developed optimally. So their vestibular system can be affected and their ocular system can be affected and their reticular system. So that's the part that controls our tone and allows us to resist gravity properly and uh, the reticular activating system which keeps us tells us when to be awake and keeps us alert so there's a lot of things that happen in that small area of the brainstem um, that if we still have these reflexes 
these may also be affected. And if we don't correct those or allow the brain to control them and promote that maturing, then everything else we do will probably not be as effective. And how do we correct it? Well, there's different exercises you can do. Uh, it really depends. I mean, you work differently with kids or adults, but for example, with the rooting reflect, we're just going to activate it over and over again. So we just, we can do this. Okay. For, you know, 10, 20 seconds, but do it five, six times a day. Okay. Uh, and every reflex has, um, you can, first, the basics is use the stimulus that activates the reflex. So if it's the rooting reflex, that's the stimulus. That's what we're going to do. If it's the palmer grasp, so when the baby kind of catches your finger, even though, uh, okay, catches, catches your finger and you think it's really cute. Sorry, it's a reflex. <laughs> it's not because they love you. Every time something touches their palm for the first, again, two, three, four months, they're going to close their palm. And that's supposed to slowly relax. What's going to happen when they relax? They can now put their hands on the floor and actually put them, pull, um, push themselves up so they can actually um, go on hands and knees to support their body and then go to creeping. So creeping is crawling on hands and knees. That's the, <laughs> I didn't know that three years ago. Um, I thought it was all crawling, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, and uh, eventually they, they're going to want to be able to control their fingers in a very precise manner. But if I touch here and everything closes, they don't have good control over their fingers. So now they're gonna drop the glass, the, the cup they're holding, or they're going to have a hard time writing, or they're going to eat like they're Neanderthals with you know holding fork, fork and knife like this. Or again, they're gonna have five motor skills issues, et cetera, et cetera. So again, what do we wanna do? We wanna activate the reflex. So we're just gonna act, you know, just stimulate the palm of their hand. I will let you know on a little secret, I have a little bit of a palmer grasp on my left hand. Okay. I don't correct it because when I teach courses, I want to show the, the students, this is what an abnormal hand looks like. <laughs> this is what a normal hand looks like. So, and, and same goes for other reflexes that are more complex, like the ATNR or the Moreau. So there's different exercises you can do. You can stimulate the reflex by just doing the stimulation that provokes the reflex. Um, for grown-ups, you can actually have them visualize themselves doing the exercise because they have a strong enough prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. and premotor cortex that that actually also helps to inhibit it. Um, but basically, those are the ways to do it. So stimulate, do exercises that uh, promote it or um, recreate it. Um, yeah, that's about it. And it's it, again, it's not complex. You just have to do it a lot. You have to do it in high frequency. Mm -hmm. That's the point. The trick is high frequency. And do you think there's um, a bonus by trying to uh, use some kind of stimulation, you know, like the Resimex or something? For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, if there's a, let's again, go back to the, to the palmer grasp, okay? So if I'm just going to do it using my fingers, compared to if I use like a vibrating device or a more specialized vibrating device like the Resimax, it's just going to make things more effective because I'm not only providing a tactile uh, um, stimulus, I'm actually providing a combination of tactile and vibration. And again, with the Resimax, it's vibration that's not constant. So it, again, 
uh, or not not constant. It's uh, it's variable. It, it changes all the time a little bit. So it, again, it, it requires more processing power from the brain and forces the frontal lobe to work harder. Okay. And if I add to that, so if that person has a right brain, right hemisphere deficiency, and I do that while they have blue glasses on and blue light, blue light activates the right hemisphere more, then I'm actually making it even better because I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm giving more power to the system. Or if I can pinpoint it even better, then again, it gets more and more uh, accurate, then we're going to get faster um, inhibition, faster... Um, what's the word I'm looking for I'll, I'll remember in a minute integration integration yes just to be clear these reflexes do not disappear they do not go away they get integrated meaning that the, the brain can now use this motor program but when it wants to and not reflexogenically yeah. So the reflex gets inhibited. The motor plan is always there. That's why they can come back if you get injured, if you get older, if you get, you know, degeneration, etc. Mm -hmm. And especially nowadays, you know, the COVID probably more reflexes come out again. So maybe, yeah. Uh, I haven't looked into it, but it's a possibility. Uh huh. With people and with long-term COVID effects. Yes. And in your blog, I saw you a. Uh, talking about um, low muscle tone and the effect. Mm -hmm. so yeah. So low muscle tone, um, there's, there's many reasons for low muscle tone, but what it tells us really, so our, our body is a, an electrical generating system. Okay. Everything we do generates electricity. That electricity goes up to the brain and that tells the brain what's going on in the body, where the body is, what is it doing? What forces are activated, are, are affecting it, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, this is how the nervous system works. And our brain is supposed to take all that information and create this virtual reality based on which it actually uh, sends out output. It can be motor output, it can be cognitive output, it can be emotional output, it can be hormonal output, still output, okay? Now, if we have low muscle tone, then everything that comes from the body, um, from the muscles, from the tendons, from the um, joints is going to be less. It's going to be less. Now, why is that important? Our brain works on frequencies, okay? It doesn't kind of go on all the time and then off. And when I don't need it, it just shuts off. And when I do need it, it turns on. It doesn't happen like that. If it did, we would have a hard time functioning in this world so the way it works is it turns on and off on and off on and off on and off really really, really fast so that we don't notice it in our daily lives but it actually turns on and off all the time okay the rate or the frequency in which it turns on and off is determined by the thalamus the thalamus also turns on and off and on and off the thalamus frequency is determined by the cerebellum which also turns on and off and on and off and on and off but a large part of that is determined by an area called the um, olive, the inferior olive complex, mm -hmm. which also turns on and on and off and on and off. And that olive is, um, that oscillation of the olive is actually determined by the input from our muscles. So now if my muscles are not generating electricity at a high enough frequency, the olive is going to be low, the cerebellum is going to be low, the, the thalamus is going to be low, and the brain is going to be low. 
Yes. Okay, and if I'm functioning at a lower frequency, then I cannot do a lot of things that require high processing power. Okay, yes. when we do things that are very complex, the frequency of the brain goes up. And a lot of times what we see with people with develop with kids or adults with developmental disorders is their part of their brain is going to be very high and others are going to be very low. And so they're going to have what's called an unevenness of skills, things that are really, they, they are really good at like math skills for again, ADHD or autism, it's usually math skills or memory or fine motor skills sometimes or different things like that, but they're going to be really bad at other things like social interactions, like uh, behavior, social behavior, things like that. Um, and all of sensory stuff, sensory processing, things like that also associated with the right brain deficiency. So uh, a, a lot of times we'll see an unevenness of tone. So not just overall low tone, but also an unevenness of tone. So some part of the body is going to be lower than the other. And so one of the first things we want to do when we have someone in our office is to check their primitive reflexes and then make sure their tone is a balanced and b high enough mm -hmm. and there are various ways to check that um you know you can if it's a baby you can just kind of play with their limbs and see if they have good resistance or not if it's a child or a kid or, or, or a teenager or, or an adult you can actually do different um strength tests you can see how many sit-ups they can do how many push-ups they can do how long they can hold a plank how long they can hold a supine bridge how many pull-ups they can do um, and things like that and that tells you a whole lot about how strong they are and how much core stability they have and if they don't have that then those are the areas where we want to start in um, our intervention at mm -hmm. because again that's the base basic 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 input to our brain exactly yeah. And um, also, I think that many people don't associate behavior problems and low muscle tones, which yeah, and interlink. Those are very intimately related. So again, if if I have low muscle tone, first of all, everything works slower. But also, my ability to interact with my environment is compromised because I don't feel my environment as well. So, what does muscle tone mean? Muscle tone is really um, the basic, the, the, the baseline activation of our muscles, okay? What is the cause or the need for our muscles to have any sorts of, any sort of contraction, okay? So there's gravity on earth. Yes. And if we want to resist gravity, we, we have to be able to hold ourselves up, mm -hmm. okay? So if we have low tone, that means that we do not respond to gravity as efficiently yeah. as we will as we should. And if we don't resist the gravity as we should, then everything else that is built upon that is going to be less effective. Of course, without gravity, you don't have a body. You don't have a... Yeah, you can sense yourself. You, you know, you can... And, and, and there's plenty of evidence from um, cosmonauts and astronauts that return to Earth after, you know, months in space and and not only do they have muscle degeneration you can actually see brain degeneration you can even see changes in their in their um um chromosomes exactly. so so epigenetic changes yeah i liked an, ex an exhibit in a museum that you know without your muscles you're just flat yeah yeah you're basically a puddle 
Exactly. Or, uh, a pile of stones, a pile of bones and skin. My last question will be with the role of the Vegas nerve. Role in what? It's got a lot of roles. Um, role, role well, let's talk about what it does. Okay, so the Vegas, Vegas is, com comes from the word vagabond. Okay, so the reason is it's, it's, it's a, it goes kind of everywhere. So it starts in the brainstem, uh, down in the lower part of the medulla, and then it goes down, and then it innervates all of our internal organs. So our intestine, our heart, our lungs. Um, it has effect on our genitalia, has effects on blood, ve blood vessels, and it's mostly responsible, responsible for the visceral parasympathetic tone. So parasympathetic means next to sympathetic and sympathetic tone is our ability to respond in what's called fight or flight. So it's our stress response. Okay. So we always have this uh, titter totter thing of sympathetic and parasympathetic. So fight or flight, rest and digest. Okay. And the vagus nerve is in charge of the visceral, the, 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 the torso part um, of our rest and digest response, rest and digest response. Um, there is also a theory called the polyvagal theory, which talks about different nuclei of the vagus. And that actually relates our development and the sympathetic and parasympathetic uh, systems development into our social or um, cognitive or behavioral responses. So the vagus nerve has effects on our, our, our digestion and our intestinal integrity. So, if, you know, we can talk about intestinal permeability and leaky gut, stuff like that. If people have low vagal tone, they will most definitely have um, intestinal issues, leaky gut issues, absorption issues, um, diarrhea, constipation, things like that. But they will also have a tendency to be very stressed so if someone is very stressed, sometimes we can help them with their stress. Speaking of COVID and, and you know, of course, everything that's happening in Israel right now, a lot of times if we give them vagal exercises, now their parasympathetic tone comes up and their sympathetic tone calms down and they can sleep better. They can actually eat better. They can calm down. They can breathe better. They can oxygenate their brain better. A lot of things now become more efficient. And if we go back to the polyvagal theory, um, there's three systems that kind of, or three response um, protocols that we can trace. One is the fear response, or the paral fear paralysis, the freeze response. Sorry, one is the fear freeze response. Uh, it's associated with the fear paralysis reflex, um, and that's a very very basic animalistic response to stress. So a deer in a headlight, in the headlights. Right or uh, whatever animal that freezes, right? Doesn't mean plays dead. Okay, yeah. and in extreme situations, so uh, you know, um, people who have been victims of rape or or um, terror terror attacks or extreme extreme um, situations tend to report that they froze. They could not move. They wanted to move. They could not move. That's a freeze response. Okay. Now, the things that develop, the, the system that develops above that is our fight or flight system. So that's a response. Either we fight it or we run away, but we're reacting in, in some way. We, we don't just stand there. 
And the system that comes above that and, and, and has to inhibit the other two is our social engagement. It's our ability to actually be creative, be loving, be um, um, emotional, be nice, be considerate, be human. Okay. And um, the polyvagal theory stipulates that in order for us to have this development of social engagement, we have to have a healthy vagal system. And if we go back to what we started or part of where we talked about before, in order to have a, a healthy vagal system, we need to have had proper primitive reflex development and inhibition and integration. So again, going back to where we start, we always start there because that's the basics of the basics of how our nervous, our central nervous system develops. Yes, Does that answer your question? Yes, it did. And here it's like your business is called Life in Balance. So, yes, yes. That is my uh, practice name. <laughs> yes. And Omar, you've got an application, right? Well, there's a few interesting things going on. Yeah, we don't have an application yet, but we are uh, building an application. Um, it's going to be really, 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 really neat. And I'm looking forward to see how my colleagues around the world are going to play with it and integrate it into their practice. Um, and we're basically taking the concept of brain games, which uh, isn't new, but we're... Um, building it into the functional neurology or clinical neuroscience um, lens. And so we're taking these gains and we're actually giving them a hemispheric uh, twist and not just the hemispheric twist is to right and left, but actually, again, frontal lobe, temporal lobe, parietal lobe, so front and back as well. And we're going to, it's, it's going to be, um, at first it's going to be a tool for therapists to actually help their patients. So they can, they can determine which areas of the brain are going to be activated. And the, and the app is just going to give them the games that they need out of the games that we've created. And then eventually I'm, I'm hoping that we can actually create it into something that people can just um, take a, you know, do a, a, an analysis, um, an in-app analysis. And even if they don't have a professional helping them, they can still get some benefit from this, um, um, specialized and specific um, intervention. And so that's happening. Uh, hopefully in the next four months, we're going to have a, a, a prototype or not a prototype, a, a, an a initial app ready, mm -hmm. which is right on time for our Malula Method course here in Israel. We're going to start, I'm going to start teaching. Yep. Yep. Um, Dr. Malilo gave us his blessing and uh, approval. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be teaching a, a Malilo Method course, a full-on course uh, through the Wingate College, mm -hmm. um, starting right after Sukkot. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, for the full, for the entire year, it's going to be really, really interesting and really cool to see how we can bring this approach to Israel in a, in a grander scale. Because right now there's like two and a half people in the country who do this, and that's just not enough. There's so many kids who need this. Yeah. And that's the point people worldwide who want who want to have a consultation with you can they um sure sure yeah um so how can um, we contact you well the email uh facebook hell they can whatsapp me if they want um however they want but they can send me an email they can whatsapp me they can call me if they want when yes. i'm asleep my phone's turned off <laughs> so don't worry about waking me up 
and or again facebook you can friend me on facebook um it's omer hirsch dc hirsch no c o-m-e-r-h-i-r-s-h dc that's my username on facebook feel free to just friend me and uh and message me whatever and we can set it up thank you so much omer i learned so much from you and <laughs> i'm so happy i found out about you and uh... <laughs> same here